This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you, Rabbi. It is the first time I've ever been in St. Louis and uh, having a good time. Bishyaku <laughs> 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 was amazing. The boys were amazing. And I'm sure this will be Mitz Hashem. So we, we want to talk about relationships. Um, specifically, this tonight we want to talk about the ultimate relationship. What is the ultimate relationship? The ultimate relationship is the relationship between us and Hashem, between us and God. To get to that relationship, God has created a, it's called a plus system in psychology. Um, I don't really have a board here to show you, but I'll explain it to you. Um, so when you're born, you just take your child, your parents diaper you, feed you, take care of you. A little baby can't do anything for themselves. They can't even walk. The parent puts them in a stroller. Everything the kid needs to do, the parents do for them. So the, the first relationship that a human being naturally has in this world is a taker. He's a taker. That's what he does. As we get older, we begin to make friends and that's a give and take. You give your friend something, you take from your friend something. It's a give and take relationship. But that relationship goes to the next relationship, which is a marriage. And a marriage is supposed to be a give and give. If you give something to someone, then you take it back. You do much for a relationship. So marriage is supposed to be a give and give. The ultimate relationship is a parent. The parent gives and not interested in taking anything from the child. Don't give me agita, but I don't want to think, I don't want anything. Nobody wants anything for their children. Just should be healthy and they should grow up and do the right thing. But we don't want our children to take care of us. In fact, one of the hardest things, like Baruch Hashem, I have an older mother, and she broke her, um, not Baruch Hashem, she broke her shoulder, but she broke her shoulder. And I think more than breaking her shoulder is that we have to help her. A parent doesn't. They want to be independent. So you go from being a taker as a child to a giver as a parent. The relationship of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, of, Jew, of God to us, is that he's a giver. He doesn't, he's not interested in taking anything from us. The mitzvahs that we do is for us, not for him. So for us to understand the relationship of a human being with God, the ultimate relationship that we have is we become a parent. It's called the plus system. The reason it's called the plus system is that when you're a child, so on a vertical line, right? Here's the child on the bottom of the line. On top are the parents, the caretakers, God. So that's the vertical line. What happens is you make a horizontal line as you grow up, and on the horizontal line is you and your peers, right? You and your friends, you and your wife, right? And that vertical horizontal line makes a plus. If there's one of those lines that's missing, it becomes a minus. So to be a healthy person, that's why it's so important for parents to bring up their children correctly because if the first relationship fails, how do you expect them to be a good husband or a wife? How do you expect them to have a relationship with God? If their first relationship in their life, which is child-parent, doesn't work, then most of the time the rest of the relationships after that doesn't work. And that's why it's so important. is <laughs> so important because it's very important that that relationship has to work. So, in this month of there's a strange relationship that I spoke to the boys a little bit about 
It's a relationship that never, ever happened before. And it's called the ultimate relationship. Let's start from the beginning. The Shulchan Aruch says, Mishinichnas Adar, Marvin Besimcha. When the month of Adar comes in, you should be happier. But the Shulchan Aruch doesn't tell us how. When the month of Av comes in, Mishinichnas Av, Mematim Besimcha, you should have less happiness. It tells us you can't drink wine, you can't eat meat, you can't listen to music, you can't make weddings. So it tells us how to have less happiness. But here it tells me, be happier. You know, be happy. How? My business is not doing well. I'm going through all kinds of stuff in life, and because it became Adar, I should be happy? What changed? What am I supposed to do? It doesn't tell you to do anything. So it seems to be that the month itself is supposed to make you happy. You are not supposed to do any action that's Purim itself. But you're, there's no, there's a, okay, it's the Adar, so every night have a little wine with your meal. doesn't say that. You know, listen to some music. doesn't say that. Do your favorite hobby. doesn't say that. It just says, So the answer is like this. Very important answer. If you look at Megillah's Esther, the story of Purim, you don't see God. It doesn't say in the whole Megillah, Hashem's name. Yudke Vovke, Elokim, Kael, Ado, doesn't say it at all. From the beginning of the Megillah to the end of the Megillah, it never mentions Hashem. How could you have a Megillah with such a miracle and not mention Hashem? Every, every Megillah has Hashem's name. What's going on over here? So we know that when it says the word Hamelech, Right? So some of the Mepharshim say that HaMelech means God. You, if it says HaMelech Achashverosh, it doesn't mean God. If it just says the word HaMelech, it does mean God. So the word HaMelech in the Megillah is Hashem's name. But if that's the case, they'll just write Melech Hashem. It seems to be that it's left out on purpose. So to really bring someone to happiness, I deal with a lot of atheists. It's very in right now to be agnostic and an atheist. So a lot of kids come to me and they're like, you know, Rabbi Wallstein, you got to answer my questions. I'm an atheist. I'm like, spell atheist. <laughs> if you can't spell it, I'm not answering. <laughs> I have yet to ever meet, and I'm doing this for a long time, a happy atheist. Nobody ever came into my office and said, what's going on, Rabbi? I'm an atheist! Give me some answers. They're all miserable. So you think you have the answers, Rabbi Wallstein? You don't have the answers. I don't believe in God. You can't prove it to me. Smile, which I smile about. And the answer is, what should you smile about? Because if there is no God, and you believe in the big theory that the big physicists who are atheists believe in, which is called randomness, stuff just happens then you got a pretty miserable life. Because if this guy's rich, and I'm not, and there's no reason for it, it's just random, I'm not lucky, that's miserable. If there's a reason that he's rich, I don't know, mitzvahs, he's getting paid in this world, I'm getting paid in that world, someone passes away, right, young, it's just <laughs> random that 
that my father died and he was very young and this guy's father is 90 and he didn't pass away. Just random, this guy's lucky, his father's and I'm not. That's not fear. Everything that happens in my life is just random, has no meaning, it just happens to be. If I just happen to be, I'm going to be happy about that. The world just happened to be, how can I be happy about that? So they're miserable. So why are they atheists? Separate speech. Why a person becomes thinks he's an atheist? Why usually you have to get rid of God because you're doing something wrong. And if there's God in the world, you believe in him, then you can't do something wrong. So just make believe. You know, I have a little grandson. He goes into the corner and he puts his head against the wall, and he said he thinks that because he doesn't see us, we can't see him. So if God's not in the world, then I can do whatever I want. You can actually eat people. I'm a lawsuit. What are you saying? Time magazine about 20 years ago did an interview with cannibals in the Amazon in South America. And they were still eating people, even though they had dish television dishes on their huts, but they were still eating people. So they had this conversation and they said, you know, this is this is savage. It's 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 not it's outdated already. Like it's you know, we we can we freeze meat. We can we can like back in an eighteen wheeler. Uh, you can have enough meat. For, you know, we don't have to eat people. <laughs> so the guy answered him. He said, I don't know. I don't remember what war. Maybe the Gulf. I don't know what war was going on then. But there was a big war. Maybe in Iraq. I don't remember for sure. He said, Well, you just had a war over oil, and tens of thousands of people died. You didn't even eat them. You just killed them and let them rot or buried them. We're savages. We're not savages. We're eating so that we can continue like animals. The big animal eats the smaller animal. So we're eating so that we can continue to live. You're just killing people. You're not even eating them. You're savages. We're not savages. It's a good swallow. They eat two people a day. We kill tens of thousands of people a day. In Syria, how many people they're killing a day? Right? Gassing them, bombing them. So without a Torah, without Hashem, we could decide that eating people is better than just killing them. There's no law in the world. So having God makes life much easier to live. Because anything that happens to me in my life has a reason. Everything in this world has a reason. 9-11 had a reason. The 6 million Jews, 6 million Jews, random? How could you live with that? Just random? We were not lucky. The Germans were the Germans and Hitler was Hitler and the army was bigger than ours. And just bad luck, guys. You live with that. Do we understand the reason? Uh, Miller wrote a book. You like it. You don't like it. Is there, do we understand the reason? I don't know if we understand the reason, but we understand that there is a reason. We don't always under, under, we don't understand tragedies. And we don't, understand, we don't understand the good stuff either. Because it's, hard, it's just as hard to understand why something good happens to a person than something bad happens to a person. It's just as hard to understand they're going to a Leviah and someone young died and they're going to a hospital and look at all those little teeny babies who one minute ago was in a mother's stomach and was nobody and now there's these little cute little things. We don't understand either way. But we understand that we don't understand and we understand that there is a reason. We don't know the reason. Fine. Purim looks like nothing special happened. There's a king and his wife stood up to him and they're Persians and a wife don't stand up to you when you're Persian <laughs> and he hangs her Haman wants to become the king because 
Vashti was the blue blood. Vashti was the one who came from the Bukhanetzah. Now that she was dead, there was no royalty. Haman was more powerful than Achashverosh. He said, now that Achashverosh was a whole plan, why he told them, he was the one who told them to hang her. Now once we get rid of her, I'm equal to you. You're a stable horse guy. I'm Haman. I got ten kids. I'm powerful. So Bixam Viserosh tries to kill Achashverosh right after Vashti dies. Who was Bixam Viserosh working for? They were working for Haman. So, okay, it's a Persian court. Stuff happens like this. There's assassins, and there's suicides, and there's devilish plans to overthrow the government. Happened many, many times. So Haman fails. Okay, let's go get the Jews. That's nothing new. And, luckily, Miss Universe was a Jew. A nice, beautiful Jewish girl who marries Achashverosh, who whispers in his ear, get rid of this guy anyway, because this guy wants to get rid of you. And he takes his first chance, and he hangs up Haman, but he doesn't want to leave his kids, because he knows from his kids are going to also try, and he hangs them all up, and the Jews are saved. Chagadja, it's a long holiday. It's great. Pajantif, have a good day. Where is God? The Yom didn't split. Haman didn't have a heart attack. It's a nice Persian story. If you translate Regulus Esther into English, it would not even sell that well in Barnes & Noble. Story, no big deal. It's not Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, but a long shot. So, Hashem is totally hidden. But we know that He's the one that was behind the whole thing. And therefore, when a person realizes that God is involved in everything, God is behind everything. Your trauma, your tragedy, your good stuff. That alone gives you simcha chayim. That alone makes you happy. If I think I'm going through all this stuff and there's no reason, that makes me depressed. That makes me anxious. That makes me angry. So in the month of Adi, you don't have to do anything. You have to realize the miracle of Purim where God was hidden. God is always hidden today, specifically. And I deal with people who have God in their life. They're just different people than people who don't have God in their life. You can get through your struggles on a much easier level and a much higher level. If you look, and I I spoke to the girls about this today, if you look at the Megillah Esther. There's a lot of things that we could talk about. We don't have that much time, but there's an interesting pasuk. When Mordechai sends Esther the copy of the Gezera, <coughs> Esther says, but you know if I go in front of the king and I'm not invited, he's going to hang me. So I'm not going. And Mordechai sends her back a message. If at this moment... You delay and you don't act. Rebbe Achvatzala will come from somewhere else, but I want you to know that at you, Ubeisavich, in your father's house, Tevedu, are lost. Ladies and gentlemen, if I was Mordechai and my niece told me, where you're sending me, I might get hung, what would I tell her? If you don't go, if you waver, 
You lost, you're a loser. Not only you're a loser, your whole family are a bunch of losers. I do not think that's what I would tell her. I would say, that's the My shameful little niece. Don't worry. Hashem will help us. I'm going to get all the men together. We're going to save the whole Tehillim. We're going to fast. We're going to learn Shas. Ladies, you're going to have a Yom Eon on Sneas. We're going to shake the world. And then, you'll go in front of the king. I guarantee you everything will be okay. Esther told Mordechai, make the fast. What's going on over here? Why is he trash talking her? Why is he telling her, you're a loser? Your parents are losers. If you don't go, it doesn't make sense. And the answer is as follows. Esther Amalka, you have to look at this medrash, it's an amazing medrash. The, the, the Alka brings it down. Mamloya brings it down. Where it says that Esther was born and she had no parents. So he says that in Shemayim, when the Malach of Amalek came to Hashem and said, destroy Klai Yisrael, Hashem said, what merit do you have, Amalek, to destroy Klai Yisrael? And Amalek said, I come from Esau. And Esau had the greatest kibbutz of aim of any person in the Torah. It says in the Medrash that he never served his father a glass of water till he got dressed for Shabbos. He had crazy kibbutz of aim. So he said, in the midst of kibbutz of aim of my great-grandfather Esau, destroy Klai Yisrael. Hashem said, okay, I hear you. Came the Malach Michal, said to Hashem, Asa was not the greatest in Kibbutz of Aim. Yaakov missed 20, 22 years of Kibbutz of Aim, so even though people ask, and he brings it down to Medrash, what do you mean Yaakov did Kibbutz of Aim? He went to Lavan. His mother told him to go to Lavan, right? So he did what he was supposed to. No. She said, go and get married. So that was 14 years of work. But the last seven years of work, he, he did it to make money. So the Satan said, that's a riot, that the first two he didn't do for the right reason. Then he would have come home right away, okay. But he didn't. So it shows that the first two, so he didn't have to give it away. So Esau did 21 years, he didn't have those 21 years. So the Malach, Michal, said to Hashem, there's someone living in the times of Haman right now that's bigger in Kivar of Aim than Esau was. Who? Esther. How? The Medrash says that Esther's mother, Esther's father died when her mother was three months pregnant. And Esther's father, mother died at childbirth. So it says in the Megillah that she had no children, in fact, no, no parents. In fact, in Ayala Sashacha that we say in the, in the I think it's Chafvav in Tehillim, it says, Hashem, you took me out of my mother's womb. <coughs> so she never had parents. So Michal said, Esau, you caused trouble for your parents. You served up the Zara, the smoke went into your six eyes. You married a Kanani, they told you not to. You're not so perfect in Kibbutz. You did very good things, but you also did bad things. My girl over here never did anything wrong to her parents. She never had parents. So she never came home after 11. She never got a bad mark on her report card. She never did anything wrong. So she is bigger than Esau. So the Malachal Esau said, very nice, she never did anything wrong, but she didn't do anything right. She didn't have parents. So what are you talking about? But we know by Jews, Machshavah Kamaisa, if you want to do something right, you want to give someone tzedakah, and all of a sudden he disappears, it's considered like you gave him tzedakah. You want to go to Minyan, and your car has a flat tire in the middle of the road, so it's like you went to Mincha, because you wanted to go to the Mincha, Machshavah Kamaisa. Esther, every day, cried to Hashem, where's my kibbutz of I miss my kibbutz of So she was bigger. 
for Hashem said. There's only one person that could rip up the Gzeira of Haman, the girl that had better kibbutz of him than Esau, was Esther. Navi, who was standing in that whole court case, ran to Mordechai, said, Mordechai, Esther, your niece, is the only one in the generation that can take Haman down. Haman had Esau, we have Esther. So this is what Mordechai said to his niece. If in this moment you're not going to go, you're going to waver, that that you didn't have parents is wasted. The reason you didn't have parents is so you should save the Jews, that you're bigger than Haman. But if you're not going to save the Jews, you couldn't have parents. Thank you. You went through the trauma for no reason. And therefore, he got to Why were you picked? She wasn't the only Jewish girl that walked in front of Machshveresh. They took all of them. Why were you picked more than anyone else? Because at this moment, the Satan is, is backing on Kibbutz of the Aim, and you are the only one that has bigger Kibbutz of the Aim. Well, that's what she said. Okay, I agree. But go down for me. So what I told the girls today, when I was speaking to them here in St. Louis, is that really a lot of us go through trauma in our life. A lot of stuff that happens to us. And most of it is not chosen by us. And Rav Shepik is always, he says, what's the Bechira of a person? We think we have Bechira, right? What's the Bechira of a person? Whether you're a woman or a man, it's not your choice. Whether you're a Jew or not a Jew, unless you're a Gare, it's not your choice. Who your parents are, that's big, right? It's not your choice. Who do you marry? 40 days before you come out to the world, they announce it. Pretty much your height, what you look like, if you're Sephardi, Ashkenazi, or Chassidish, when you're born into the family, not your choice. So, so, so he asked her. She said, what's your choice? Vanilla or chocolate? <laughs> what's your choice in life? What are we doing? It might as well be an apple tree. Let me give apples to the world. He said something brilliant. He said, the only choice you have in life is what do you do with the things that you have no choice? You step in or you step out. That you are a man, that you are a woman, that you are a Jew, that you... That, that, that you live in St. Louis, that, that, is your, that those are your parents, that those are your siblings, and all the situations that Hashem put you in that you didn't have a choice, you have one choice. What are you going to do with it? You're going to be upset? You're going to get depressed? Stay home? Sleep? You're going to get out there and use the stuff that you went through to help? If you're not going to act on the stuff that you went through, then you and your family and all the pain that you went through was for nothing. I spoke to the girls about this. It's not really my subject because I really want to talk about relationships. But I want to touch on it. Touch on it for a minute. So, Ornavo, my organization, we make a dinner every single year. We made a dinner every single year. And it's a big dinner. 700 people... 800 people, very fancy, big caterer, big hall. Baruch Hashem, we raise money. Well, now it's 15 years old. I would say about 10 years ago. I mean, no, not 10 years ago. Six years ago. So six years ago, I'm sitting, and two weeks before the dinner, and the secretary's coming to my room. It's two weeks before the dinner, like Reverend Wallstein. We need to talk to you. I'm like, 
what's going on? You look like something's going on. We have a major problem. What's wrong with the dinner? What's wrong? You know the people that guest of honors? Very rich people have guest of honors. Um, yeah. I think they're going to be very embarrassed. I said, why? I said, well, we have 70 reservations and there's two weeks to go. I'm like, 70 people or 70 couples? Not that that's any better. <laughs> they said, 35 couples. You need to cancel the dinner. Okay, we put a deposit on the wall, we'll lose the deposit. Put a deposit on the catering, but if you're going to make the dinner, you're going to lose a lot more money than that. I'm like, but if I cancel it, first of all, when you cancel a dinner, we're going to have to come up with a story. These people are going to be insulted, and people are not going to... It's not a good thing for, for an organization to do. I said, you know what? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I can't. I, if, these, if there's only 200 people there, these people are not going to give me a dollar. And it, 750 seats I reserved. So what do you do, guys, when you don't know what to do? You said jump? No. Oh. So you go to Dalvin. So right next to my office is a, a shul, a famous shul in Borough Park called Shemesh Shabbos. They have a minion every 15 minutes. Last Myriff, 3 o'clock a.m. I have been at that minion. Flying in sometimes. I know why I'm there. I'm trying to figure out the other 20 guys. Are what are you doing? <laughs> That's an interesting minion. The 2, 3 o'clock minion. So there are guys there that have hat stores and suit stores and jewelry stores. And they're like, why are you guys here? You could have died much earlier. They're like, any young guy that comes into down at 2 o'clock is pretty much either a chassan or going to be a chassan. So they have them all set up. The guy's down here at 2 o'clock because he had a great date. You don't show up at 2 o'clock. So like, hey, by the way, here's my card. I'm a photographer. I'm a flower guy. <laughs> busy place, Shepard Shabbos. Anyway, I decided I'm going to go down Mincha. Right? Now, we know everyone in this room, maybe not the women as much, but when do all the great ideas come into your head? Shemar Esra. Right? You try to figure out, did I say Maidim? Did I say Maidim? Did I say the same Talamot? Because right? we travel. I travel so much in my head, I say Tzilzadirach before Shmon Esra. <laughs> and sometimes, I bench cry all after Shmon Esra. <laughs> so, that's where I'm going to get, Hashem's going to give me an answer in my head. Should I make the dinner or not? Of course, the one Shmon Esra that I translated every single word and I got no ideas, was that Mecha? <laughs> Nothing. Zero. I walk out of shul, I'm going to cancel. I can't take Siddhaka money. I take the chance. With two weeks left, I'll come up with some crazy story, but I have to cancel. I come out of shul, there's a guy, Rabbi Simcha Salvation. Salvation, what is it? He walks over and goes, Wallerstein! I'm like, what's up, Simcha? I'm not in the mood right now. <laughs> Why are you not in the mood? You're always happy. Why aren't you happy? I'm like, Simcha, I'm making a dinner in two weeks. No one's coming. He says, you want to hear a story? No, this guy doesn't tell stories. He's a solid <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I have time for this story. He goes, you have time for this story. You listen to the story. I'm like, okay. So there was once this guy. His name was Yankel. He was a farmer. He was a peasant. And he comes out of his house. In front of his house was a 15-ton boulder. He comes out of his house one day. And there's a voice. Yankel! He looks up. Is that you, Hashem? Yes. Wow. Hashem's talking to me. Amazing. What can I do for you, God? I want you to push that boulder in front of your house as hard as you can for the next half hour. 
Me? Yeah, really? Fine. He goes to the boat, of course, 15 tons of truck, a, a caterpillar truck can move it, right? He starts pushing for half an hour, and he's pushing, and he's sweating, and he's pushing. Of course, it doesn't move. Next morning. Uncle! Yes, Hashem! Push that boat for half an hour. This goes on for a year. Every morning, God tells him to push the boulder. And he pushes like nobody else would. Of course, it doesn't move. 15 ton boulder's not moving. Well, when he comes out, there's a mean looking angel standing there. He says, Who are you? He says, I'm the Satan. What do you want? He says, You know, I have a bad name. Everyone thinks I'm a mean guy. I am a mean guy. But there isn't good side to me. I want to share something with you. Yanko, God's been telling you to push this boulder for the last year. Isn't that true? He goes, yeah, what about it? He says, do you know why you're pushing a 15-ton boulder that won't move? He says, no. God tells me. He says, a year ago, all the angels came to God and we complained. And we said to God, it's not fair. We work 24-7 and we don't have recess. We need a break. God said, okay, half an hour every morning, comedy relief. He says, all the angels in the sky, we look and we watch this silly human being trying to move a 15-ton boulder. And you know who that is, Yanko? That's you. You are comedy relief. And of course, Yanko is broken. What are you talking about? He says, that? You're comedy relief. We laugh sometimes. You push so hard. We laugh sometimes. We laugh our wings off. You are so silly. I can't believe Hashem is using me to be comedy relief. Oh, wait till Hashem comes tomorrow. Next morning, God says, Yanko, yeah, Hashem, push the boulder. Oh, no way. Comedy relief, huh? That's what you think of me. You know I can't move the boulder. It's never moved. Hashem says, this is what is telling me this story. Hashem says, I told you to move the boulder. I didn't tell you to move the boulder. I told you to push the boulder. Yako, you are the best boulder pusher in the history of the world. No one has ever pushed a boulder harder than you. Your job is to push the boulder. My job is to move the boulder when I'm ready. He goes out to the farm. He is dancing. I'm the best boulder pusher in the world. I'm the best boulder pusher in the world. And standing right there is the ma, is the satan. And he's like, what are you so happy about? He goes, I'm the best boulder pusher in the world. He says, and? Does the boulder move? He goes, no. So what are you exactly? The best waste of time guy that Hashem ever created. For 30 minutes every day, you just waste your time. At this point, this poor guy, he's a peasant. He is so mixed up. I'm comedy relief, but I'm the best boulder pusher, but it doesn't move. He says, what do you do when you're all mixed up? You go to the bar. I went to Minnesota. This guy went to the bar. So, he's on his way to the city. He's now going to get some good drinks. As he comes around the corner, and I'm standing outside Chumash Shabbos, listening to the story, thinking like, I gotta cancel a dinner. I'm not a peasant. And I'm not pushing the boulder. I don't know, Rabbi Salvation. I gotta go. Goes, no, no, you gotta hear the end. Comes around the corner, on the way to the bar, and there's a woman screaming, Help, help, my husband, he's underneath the wagon. He was changing the tire, and the wagon fell on him. He's suffocating. Help, run to the city, bring four or five guys. That was says, four or five guys. The city's half an hour away. It's gonna be an hour before I get back. He'll be so dead by then. He says, Listen, I'll 
pick up the wagon, you pull a match. He goes, pick up the wagon. We have 700 pounds of cement in that wagon. You ain't picking up that wagon. He says, listen, lady, you got one choice. Either I pick up the wagon or your husband's dead. So I'm going to pick it up six inches off the ground, and when I do, you pull him out. She goes, if you're not Superman, you're not picking up the wagon. And Yaakov bends down. And he starts to lift this wagon that's impossible to lift. In a year of pushing a boulder that didn't move, built crazy muscle his legs, his shoulders, his arms, and his back. And he picks this wagon up six inches off the ground and she pulls him out and he drops it. She said, you are Superman. You are Superman! He goes, I'm not Superman. How do I thank you? You saved my husband's life! I didn't save your husband's life. You see, there's a boulder in front of my house. That's what saved your husband's life. Because if the boulder would have moved, I would have stopped pushing. And all the muscle that I built was built because the boulder didn't move. I said, Rabbi what are you telling me? Your job is to make the dinner. God's job is to make it successful. Push the boulder. I'm like, if you promise me that the angels on the day of the dinner are not going to laugh their wings off. <laughs> the problem with this dinner was that we, we didn't make the dinner in Sphere when we usually make it, and we had to make it in June. And June, with all the weddings in New York and the graduations in the schools, we knew it wasn't going to be a big one, but we helped more than 70 people. Ladies and gentlemen, Hashem is my witness. The biggest dinner that Ornava ever had was that dinner. I didn't have a chair. There were over 900 people came to that dinner. In two weeks. What happened? The word went out that no one's coming that Ornava might close. And all my friends and everybody were my friends. They left their weddings. They didn't go to graduations because this is something that helps Hashem's children. How can we let Zechariah be embarrassed and let him drown? And every one of them came to the dinner and every one of them is still not talking to me. <laughs> you set this up. You told everyone nobody was coming. And I didn't set it up. It was a miracle. So I came to St. Louis to tell you that sometimes in life you're just pushing and you're pushing and it's not happening. You just don't understand. Girls, I talk to girls in New York who are going out for years, they're 30, they're 32, they're 33, you know she took them, it's not happening. They're pushing. Guys who are in business, they're pushing and just the bolted doesn't seem to move. People are sick, you say to him and they die. And you keep pushing, you're like, Hashem, what are you, what are you laughing at me? And says, sometimes the boulder doesn't have to move. Sometimes by pushing it and it doesn't move, you build what's called struggle muscle. And when you build struggle muscle, it gives you the ability to carry others. Not always is the boulder supposed to move. Kleisrom, Amporim, turn to Hashem, talking about the ultimate relationship. He told the nation, Mordechai told the nation, Eliyahu, he told him that Akash Baruch Hu signed the first time in the history of the world, signed a Gezerah that his children, women, children, fathers, grandfathers, will all die in one day.
day he signed us off. Levi Novi showed it to Mordechai. And Mordechai turned to the Jewish nation and said, We don't have God anymore. God signed his children to a death warrant. We're done. And they had no great rabbi, they had no Rabbi Shafeinstein, they had no Rabbi Chaim Okay, we have a Chavetz Chaim in the door, we can't be destroyed. Chavetz Chaim will save us. They didn't have anyone to save them, they hated Mordechai. In their eyes, Mordechai set this whole thing up by not bowing down to Haman. You should have gone to Yeshiva when Haman went by. Why do you have to stand in front of him and not bow down? Get out of his way! You didn't wire this whole thing up. We have no leader, we have no God, but we have someone in the White House. Esther, we have Jared. Jared's in the White House. What could go wrong? Right? He lives Hanukkah in the White House. So, you know what? God, you know, we're far away from you, and we don't have any big rabbis, but for, uh, Trump's good for the Jews. Jared's definitely good for the Jews. So the Jews said, yeah, we have Esther. But then Yeshiva World came out with some new news on the internet. You think you have Esther? She just invited, she's sleeping with the enemy. She just invited home. With that traitor, give them a little power, these Jews. They get into the government, and all of a sudden, they're on the other side. For the first time in the history of the Jewish nation, had no one. No one. We didn't have God. We didn't have a leader. And we didn't have a politician in the government. You know what the Jews should have done? Take off their yarmulkes, walk out of Yiddishkeit, get themselves a good cheeseburger with some bacon on it. Say, God, you wrote me off, I'm writing you off. I'm done. But we didn't do that. What's the, the big v'nahapachu on Purim, ladies and gentlemen? Say this at your Purim table. The v'nahapachu is that usually we give up on God, right? We give up on God. He doesn't give up on us. On Purim, he gave up on us. We didn't give up on him. Instead of taking our yarmulkes off, we fasted for three days. We learned Torah. We did mitzvahs. Our little children, the little teenagers, of Mitzrayim, the Medrash says, Hashem broke the Gezerah because the, the kids would fast and the mothers would come with the food. They were little, little teeny kids. First grade and second grade, they said, you have to eat. And the kids said, I'm fasting. And they started to cry. They were so hungry, they started to cry. And Hashem, the Medrash says, Hashem said, I hear the crying of little sheep. Who is that? That's your children that you gave up on. You give up on them and they're fasting and they're crying. And Hashem went from his Kisei Adin to his Kisei Racham. First time ever and forever that God gave up on us, we didn't give up on him. That's the ultimate relationship. And that's Purim. And that's why Purim is the only holiday that will exist after Mashiach. Why? Mashiach's Betrayim wasn't bigger? Because Mashiach is much bigger than Purim. Why would I celebrate? Mashiach, that's it, it's all over. With the base of Mikdash, Hashlishi, no more sickness, no more And and you're gonna celebrate Purim, little wine, Ashlachman, what? And the answer is it's much bigger than Mashiach. It's much bigger than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is only like Purim. Because it's the day that we said to Hashem, You gave up on us, we didn't give up on you. That's not Mashiach. Mashiach is when Hashem, we gave up on you, pretty much at the end of the generations, and you're bringing us back. Purim is much bigger than the relationship. The wife saying to the husband, I'm out of here. Divorce. I give up on this marriage. And the husband's like, no. I 
will never give up. I love you. I will never give up on this marriage. That's what we told Hakadosh Baruch Hu on Purim. There's no moment ever in the world that was on Purim. And every single year, Esther says that the, the lashon that she uses in the Megillah Esther is that every single year it's again like Purim, a new year. It's not a memory. It's an amazing moment, and that's why the Shulchan Aruch says, "Kol apoyshayad." Anyone who puts their hand out to you on Purim, put something in it. Not only what's a dakka, let me see your letter, let me see where you're coming from, and then you give them a quarter. Like, you need a letter for that, right? But <laughs> on Purim, you don't ask no questions. You put out their hand, you put something in it. Why? Because it says on Purim, Hashem mida kinegimida, that love when he said, you're gone, you're over, and then we said, we don't care, you gave up on us, we didn't give up on you. Hashem said, ask me for anything. Could you imagine a woman who tells her husband, I'm getting divorced, I don't have anything to do with you, and he's like, I will love you forever. I will never give up on you. I, what do you want? Anything you want, Chef. Whatever you want. I, you're not giving up on me. I'm telling you, I gave up on you. No, I'm not giving up on you. So it says that you should dive in with seeking, pour a morning, whatever you ask for, call a push of Just put out your hand. Hashem has to put something in your hand. For it brings down in Kabbalah. That's a call a push of Therefore, if a human being comes to you, put it in his hand. If, I, if you come to Hashem, whatever you put your hand out, if it's good for you, He's going to put it into your hand. It's an unbelievable day that even after Mashiach, you're going to do Shlach You're going to listen to Megillah, Esther, after Mashiach, the whole world. Yes. Hashem's like, because Mashiach, I'm doing for you. Purim, you do for me. The ultimate relationship is on the day of Purim. And that's why people get drunk and they act like Mashiach, because the Southern knows wants to get you drunk and crazy because he knows that if you're serious and you're davening and you're asking things from Hashem you're going to get it so on that day he wants to close our relationship with Hashem so we, that's why all these kids with the smoking with the drinking with the girls with the wives with the, you don't have that here with the limos all the, I, I watch it and I'm like fools today is bigger than your kipper would you go get drunk on your kipper and act like an idiot today is bigger than your kipper you can get anything so of course the sutra makes that day the craziest day so that you don't Huge, huge day. So I want to end from Rav Shem Shemikas. Also, I have to say it in his name. Just another understanding. So this little boy. I need three more minutes. This little boy comes to his father. He says, "Dad, I want a new bicycle. Could you buy me a new bicycle?" Father said, "Chayamol. I bought your bicycle two years ago." Years for, for the Afikoma. You have a nice bicycle. I know, but it only has three gears. I'd like to get the new one, you know, that has 15 gears. No, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it for you. Goes to his uncle. Hey, Uncle Yaakov, I'm your favorite nephew. Could you buy me a bike? Buy you a bike? You have a nice bike. He goes to Zadie. Zadie, you buy me a bike? You have a bike. We'll grow out of this bike. We'll get you a new bike. Okay, it's not working. He ain't getting a bike. He goes on his way to Yeshiva. Two days later in the morning, he forgets to look both ways. And he crosses the road and he gets hit by a car. And Ansela picks him up and they take him to the hospital and it's very, very bad. And they call the parents and they're like, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, your little chai wants to get hit by a car, meet us in the hospital. And the parents are like, oh my gosh, the worst thing, the worst thing that could ever happen. And they run to the hospital and they want to see Chaimel and he's in surgery, fractured skull, fractured spine, all kinds of stuff going on. And he's in surgery, and they're, they're standing outside, and they have their tail, and 
the davening and people are starting to come to the hospital. Everybody heard about it, and the Hatzol guys are standing out there because they don't know they, they don't know what, what what happened. And the doctor walks out. He says, "You're uh, Mr. Chaim's uh, parents." Says, yeah, yeah. What's going on? I'm so sorry. We lost them. What? We lost them. Sorry, we tried everything we could. They were devout for the faith. The Hatzol guy is holding the father. I said, what do I do? What do I do? It's like I said, don't let them touch him. Um, call call the, you know, the people that need to come to, to, to you know, Chavar Kadisha to, um, to take him out of the hospital as fast as you can. So he's fumbling with his phone. He's, he's, he, he's trying to find the Chavar Kadisha's number. He doesn't have the Chavar Kadisha's number. He's trying to find that. And all of a sudden, coming out of the, the operating room is a nurse and she's screaming, Doctor, get back in here! We got a heartbeat! And like everyone's in the room, heartbeat! Everyone's jumping, the hotel guy said, We have a heartbeat! To get Don't call the Khalidish! Put your phone away. And they're standing there for an hour, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And the doctor comes out and he goes, I don't understand. We got it back. Yeah, we had to uh, do some some stuff on the skull, but everything seems to be okay. We took an MRI. Um Bar Hashem is his spine is fine. We, I mean it's gonna take some time and some mending, but this kid He'll be back to normal one day. I was like, wow, amazing, I can't believe it. Can I see him? No, no, we, we put him into a coma because he has to heal. We'll take him out in 24 hours. The father's sitting next to the bed, he's saying to him, and 24 hours later, they, the doctors come in, they take him out of a coma, and he starts to wake up, he looks up at his father, and goes, Hadi, is that you? Chaim, you recognize me? Can I get a new bike? <laughs> You're the one, run! I think it's free! I saw a great bike on the way here. It has 40 gears. It's a mountain bike. Shefla, by the time you come out of this hospital, and I'm going to get a horn, and a bell, and a light, and a reflector, and I'm going to get your helmet, and, and wow. And the kid comes out of the hospital, and they come into the house, they're going to make a suit, they say, dog. He walks into the dining room, and there's three bikes. One from Tati, one from Uncle Mayor, and one from Zaydi. And all kinds of other stuff. And everyone's smiling. He's got all kinds of toys. Ladies and gentlemen, what happened? Why does he deserve a bike? I thought, you're going to wait till he grows out of this one. I thought, he got one two years ago. This guy got hit by a car. such a change. Because when you think you lost something, that's when you realize its value. When you have something, you don't realize its value. They thought he died. At that point, the bike was so unimportant. It was so easy to buy. Why did I say no? They thought they lost him. And when you think you lost something, when you lost something, that's when you finally realize its value. God thought he lost us. The zero was written. He thought on that day, every Jew, his child, his little family, was dead. Something came out and said, Sorry! We lost him! We lost him! It's the day you're done! The one that we wiped out in one day! Sorry! And then these little kids started fasting and davening and learning. 
the whole Klai Yisrael started davening and fasting and learning. And the Malach Michal came out and said, You didn't lose them! They didn't become Goyim. They didn't go off the Derech. They didn't become atheists. They're in Shur Hashem. They're breathing. There's a heartbeat. That moment, when Hashem realized he got us back, he realized what he was about to lose. And when you realize what you're about to lose, that's when you realize what you have. That's Purim. What a crazy day. The ultimate moment and the ultimate day. Don't waste it. Come down. Ask Hashem for what you need. Sometimes you may not get it. That's only because you need to build some struggle muscle. May we all be Zaycha to keep pushing the boulder. And may Hashem move the boulder, the pina, the cornerstone the Beit HaMikdash in Hero, where we will celebrate Purim even after Mashiach. Thank you and I really enjoy St. Louis. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com